What do you think of when I say the 1990s? Grunge music? Friends? We all remember that. But what you might not remember is that 61 million people were using pagers and smartphones didn't exist. I'm Kathy Kinzora, and on my new podcast, History of the 90s, we go inside the stories that defined a decade. From 90210 to the Long Island Lolita. Listen for free to History of the 90s on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Calgary's most recognized morning news personality. The Morning News with Gord Gillies and Sue DL on 770 CHQR. Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, October 9th. Sean Simpson, VP of Ipsos, gives us the rundown on some new polling numbers that focus on the election issues specific to each province and various age groups of Canadians. Leela Ahir joined the show to discuss the gender pay gap in Alberta. The UCP Minister of Culture, Multiculturalism and the Status of Women says there's still work to be done to bring our province in line with the rest of Canada. How much should a school impact your choice of neighbourhood? Barb Silva, the Communications Director for Support Our Students, weighs in with her thoughts. The mayor was at the grand opening of the new Wellspring Calgary Randy O'Dell House. Mayor Nahed Nenshi offers up his thoughts on the impact for the community and the importance of not-for-profits. And there's a big job fair out in Banff. Kendra Skirfield, Brand and Communications Manager at Sunshine Village, says there are about 200 jobs that need to be filled. 709, less than two weeks ahead of the federal election, the latest Ipsos poll conducted exclusively for Global News looks at the issues that will determine how Canadians will vote on October 21st. Sean Simpson is a VP with Ipsos Canada and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. I guess the big difference, uh, the the big thing we want to talk about is the difference between earlier polls and uh, what we now have on our hands. Yeah, well, we've uh, seen two issues in particular uh, rise in in prominence. Uh, so just to get it out of the way, healthcare is number one. It's always been number one. Mm-hmm. It almost always will be number one. But the second uh, most important issue driving people's vote is uh, is climate change. Uh, that's now uh, number two. Uh, even you know a year ago, it wasn't in the top five. Uh, and when we started the campaign, it was around the fifth issue. Now it's second. So clearly, uh, you know the debates and and policy platforms and media coverage uh, is making this issue more salient in people's minds. So overall, for Canadians, it's healthcare at number one, climate change yep. at number two. Can you round out the top five for us? Yeah, let's do that. So affordability and cost of living is, is the third most important issue. Taxes are number four, and the economy is number five. And a big difference, though, if we look specifically from province to province. Yeah, there's certainly some uh, areas of the country where uh, there, there are disproportionately uh, more impactful issues. So, for example, if we look at Alberta, uh, we know that the economy uh, is uh, is more important to Albertans than uh, than people in other uh, provinces. Uh, the debt and deficit uh, issue, Albertans most likely to be wanting the, the government to balance the uh, the debt. Obviously, energy and pipelines, uh, a more important mm-hmm. issue here in Alberta, also uh, in British Columbia. Columbia, and then the issue of jobs. Of course, the the uh, Alberta economy is the uh, is the weakest at present uh, across the country, and so job anxiety just tends to be higher in Alberta than it is uh, elsewhere, and and that's got people uh, up at night. Regional and generational differences. Uh, you folks break it down into millennials, Gen Xers, and baby boomers, and there's not a lot of crossover. Each one of these uh, different brackets uh, vastly different. 
Yeah, uh, certainly younger people uh, disproportionately more like to be uh, likely to be concerned about issues of of education. You know, they probably have have younger kids, more likely to have younger kids, for example, of housing and and unemployment. We know millennials are are struggling to get into their careers as they come out of school. For those Gen Xers, uh, the sandwich generation, more likely to be concerned about issues of of affordability, cost of living, and uh, and the economy. And then as we age, uh, healthcare, absolutely the number one issue uh, and that that just makes sense but uh, boomers are also more likely to be concerned about climate change and uh, and seniors issues more generally Sean I was kind of interested to see so going back to what you said at the beginning climate change is you know one of the top things for all Canadians and yet it doesn't show up in the top couple for Millennials and Gen Xers where I would have thought it would well, it, it still does. It's just that it's not disproportionately more important for those people. Okay. Um, it, it's it's a, you know if the average is twenty nine percent across the country, then millennials actually lag a little bit on on climate change. And you kind of say, well, why is that? Well, it's because they're disproportionately higher on things like education, housing, and, mm-hmm. and unemployment. And also, Canadians seem to have uh, an opinion on who is best to deal with each issue, and you can break that down party to party. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the key to winning the election is to differentiate yourself as the party that's best to deal with the most important issues of the campaign. So if we look at those issues, number one, again, health care, and we know that the Liberals um, are, are disproportionately picked as the party to, to, to best lead on that issue among people who say health care is most important. Number two, climate change, as you might expect, the Green Party, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, beyond them it's it's the liberals on affordability and cost of living this is interesting because the the conservatives have a slight advantage over the liberals but in fact a plurality of people say none of the parties are speaking to me on this issue i don't believe any of them uh, are are best poised to deal with that and then for taxation and the economy as you might expect particularly here in alberta the conservatives had to have a lead on those two issues so when it comes to the the important money issues people are still a little up in the air as to who's best going to deal with that for them that's right. Affordability is still a toss-up. On taxation and, and the economy, the Conservatives are in the lead, but it's important to note that uh, the, the, the lead that the Conservatives used to have, uh, the gap in front of the other parties, is actually shrinking. So, for example, uh, among those who say taxes are most important, 34% of Canadians say that the Conservatives are best to deal with it, but that's down seven points since uh. the start of the campaign. So they're losing some of their advantage on, on those pocketbook issues. And a footnote uh, to uh, these uh, latest numbers and this latest data, cynicism. Canadian voters are still a little cynical. <laughs> Especially after that debate, no doubt. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, we know that um, you know throughout the campaign, there's a significant chunk of the population who says that they don't really like any of the leaders they have to choose from, um, and that's particularly high among millennials. And then when we look at the degree to which millennials say that they're absolutely certain to go out and vote, they're the least likely to say, say, say that that's the case. Fewer than half of millennials are absolutely certain to go out and vote. So uh, I think that we're we're not going to see them show up to the same extent that we did in 2015, which was key to Justin Trudeau in earning his majority government. If millennials stay home, the Liberals are going to have a hard time mm-hmm. forming a majority government, let alone a government at all. Sean, you're the pro when it comes to the, the polling and the numbers. So what is this telling you right now? What do you take as an overall from this? Well, what I take uh, as an overall from this is that uh, the, the the lead that the Liberals have nationally, three points heading into the debate, uh, given what happened in the debate, given that they only lead really on health care and maybe green uh, climate change, the Conservatives lead on the other issues, you know, we are deadlocked. We're still deadlocked. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's less than two 
two weeks left, and something's got to break that. And uh, I think we're probably looking at a minority government, whether it's the Liberals or the Conservatives who leads it, I think is still very much up in the air. Twelve days to election. We've had uh, weeks uh, on the campaign trail. And I'm guessing from where you sit, uh, we are still going to see things changing over the next week and a half. Yeah, I think they have to because the outcome is 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 so uh, uncertain at this particular point in time. Uh, I think we're going to see shifting. I think we're going to see shifting from uh, some of the the third place and fourth place parties more towards the liberals and, and the conservatives. Um, you know, as as those uh, people who are considering voting for one of the other parties say, you know what, I, I, if I want to have an impact on the outcome of this thing, I probably have to back uh, one of the two leading horses. Um, and uh, and I think there's still some movement to be had in in Quebec the block is 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 on the march there uh, and there's another french language debate to come uh tomorrow night and so there there may be more movement in that populous province. Thanks for your thoughts on this, Sean. Appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be having some new Ipsos polling numbers coming out pretty soon in respect to the leaders themselves. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Sean Simpson, VP of Ipsos Canada. It is Islamic Heritage Month here in Alberta and across the country. It is also Women's History Month. And we wanted to talk about the different pay gap relations in this province and across the country. She's got the biggest portfolio around. UCP Minister of Culture, Multiculturalism and Status of Women, Leela Ahir, joins us this morning. Good morning. Thanks for being on the program this morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really honored to speak with you. Well, let's start, Leela, with that uh, the pay gap question, because, boy, that was a, an interesting article that came up, that the earnings gap between women and men here in Alberta is the largest in Canada. So wh- wh- how do you work towards sort of, you know, bridging that gap? Yeah. And actually, thank you so much for asking that question. We've actually, there's a, a couple of policies that we put out recently that are really working towards making sure uh, that we impact that gap in a positive way. Um, one of the things is, is that we're seeing more women go into trades, but there has to be an environment to really make sure that we're able to attract women into this field. You know, earlier, I mean, obviously we have to get girls into STEM a lot earlier. Um, but one of the things that uh what we've been doing is working with a group called um, Women uh, Women Building Futures. Sorry, I just had to think about that for a second. Women Building Futures, and they're actually working with a group called Interpipeline. And so there's a humongous amount of opportunities for women in the trades there. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a huge change coming upon us. We have a, a great deal of people that will be retiring from the trades, about 20,000 over the next five years. So this is an amazing opportunity for women to really be at the table to take this up and to make sure that we have them in these incredible jobs. Because these are really good paying jobs. Uh, we definitely need this labor in this province. It's an absolute necessity. So we're really hoping to encourage that. So is that something do you work to go into the schools earlier and hit these young girls with this as an option? for them at a younger age? hundred percent, yes. And part of that is the mentoring as well, too. So that's also part of what we're looking at doing. Um, I was recently um, uh, at a, a group meeting for women in manufacturing, and I moderated a panel there. And so I met with some just absolutely incredible, like, rock star women. And one of the things that I learned in that panel was not only does the environment around really attracting women into the workforce need to change, but actually what needs to happen is that we need these mentors to go out into the schools a whole lot earlier and really be talking to these these kidlets, you know, in grade 6 and grade 7 where they can look up Mm -hmm. to these fabulous women and just know that anything is possible for them. Not that they don't realize that. Girls are really, really astute. They know that. But it's 
just, it's a different level of caring and nurturing that has to happen, I believe anyway, um, at that level. And seeing those women um, at that level that are rock stars like that, that can go in um, and make sure that they have access to those women. One of the other programs that we attended was at the TELUS World of Science, or sorry, TELUS World here in Edmonton. And uh, they had an engineering program going on there where they're working on robotics. So there was a Status of Women grant that went into that program. And we had these amazing engineering women. Like these ladies have broken some serious glass ceilings. And so they actually, when the girls came in, there was a girls program. And in the morning, they were setting up the robotics. When they came around the corner, I wish I'd been here for that. I've been there for that. I probably would have cried. But <laughs> they came around the corner and the women in engineering clapped for them. Oh, I love as they came, yeah, can you imagine when they were telling me about that? I just thought, oh my word, if you can imagine the impact that that would have on a young girl and what her, what, the way she would look at herself differently and her ability to be able to move forward in that. So there's a lot of different levels that we have to look at. I'm just, I'm actually quite grateful. It's better to understand the numbers and to know um, where it is that we need to go. So mm -hmm. anytime we have information like that, it's just, it's a real blessing actually, because it gives us a lot of opportunity to look at how we can improve the way things work. Well, and it's a big issue. And uh, of course, talking about closing this gap, do you look at uh, the other provinces in our nation and uh, look at those provinces who have made the strides um, for a template? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Uh, you can, and that's a very, very reasonable request. But we also have a very different dynamic here in Alberta where um, a lot of our jobs, and especially the, the you know really good paying jobs, were in oil and gas. So, And a lot of women were at the table in these jobs. And so, yes, absolutely it's imperative that we look cross-jurisdictionally but we also have to look at what's happening in our own province to see where those gaps are and how it is that we transition if that's a necessary thing but honestly the ability to work in the trades in this province are huge they're excellent paying jobs we have a huge opportunity for women to really really get into construction and pipeline and into oil and gas in the field these are incredible resilient women let's make sure we open up those doors and just fling it wide open so that they're at the table Leela, I want to kind of switch gears with you because you've got such a big portfolio. We could talk to you about a million different things. But with it being Islamic Heritage Month and also with Women's History Month, I'm curious what you, th first of all, kind of a two-pronger, but, you know, your thoughts on Bill 21. Do you wish the leaders had been stronger in the opposition to that, especially at the debate? And does that affect us here in Alberta at all with what happens October 21st federally, whether it does go conservative or liberal? Oh, wow, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Okay, let me start first with Bill 21. Um, I've been really clear about how I feel about Bill 21. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if you saw, but um, if you consider, like if you look at it from this point of view, if you have a child, and my, my friend, uh, Minister Sani, had mentioned this, she, she's a, a Sikh faith. And she has a daughter and she has a son. And his, her son expresses his faith with a turban. If you can imagine, her daughter would be able to be hired there in public service, but not her son, right? It's ridiculous. So just imagine that for just a moment. So uh, absolutely. I, I don't know. Here's the thing is that having an impact on provincial policy is one thing. I think it's very fair for us to have an opinion. But honestly, um, Premier Legault is responsible for his province and the temperature of that province. And I'm just hoping that we see that the people of that province will fight back and hopefully 
fight in order to change that policy because quite frankly that would never happen in Alberta and if anything I think provincially that we've learned individually through our provinces that's just not something that there's no appetite for that and I again sometimes information is a blessing like you if you if we hadn't seen something like that happen you wouldn't realize that 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 was even a thought process for people to take away their ability to express their faith right like Mm -hmm. it was just it's in our constitution so um uh, whether or not the leaders, I mean, I know for sure that um, that uh, Andrew Shear had expressed his discontent at the beginning, but in, in the essence of what the leader said there, they're actually correct because they can't tell Premier Legault what to do, but they can certainly, certainly express their dissatisfaction with that and look at it as a point of, of how it is that we proceed in our own provinces. And if anything, we've certainly learned that. Been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Have a beautiful day. You too. UCP Minister of Culture, Multiculturalism and the Status of Women, Leela Ahir. Parents of young children and those thinking of having children, how do you go about choosing a school? And should it be choosing a neighbourhood based on the schools available to you in said neighbourhoods? Barb Silva is Communications Director of Support Our Students and joins us this morning. Good morning, Barb. Good morning. First and foremost, something that you and I talked about, um, can you explain the difference between a school in your community and a community uh, in your school? Yeah, so basically there is a big difference between a school that's in your community and a community school. A school that's in your community could actually be a program of choice or an alternative program. And so you're not always guaranteed, even if you live across the street, to get into that school because it's open to a wider, to a much wider catchment area. Certainly if it's the only alternative program in the city, like the all-boys school um, or the elite athlete program, then it's open to the entire city. And so that is very different than a community school, Mm. which is a regular program, which would have a smaller catchment area, um, and that you um, you would have access to if you live in that catchment area. And so should we be watching that in terms of, you know, moving or, or looking at what our kids as they're growing up even maybe and, and seeing what they're sort of excelling at? Do we, if we're thinking of moving, do we look at the schools that might be appropriate for our children and their needs then? Well, I think that's the problem. That type of thinking has is what's gotten us into the problem that we're in right now, is that this idea that we all need really specific niche programming. The reality of the matter is, is that every single school has to teach the Alberta curriculum. And so some of these programs that are used to attract students because of the funding model we have, which is to uh, every, every student brings in a certain amount of money, uh, and so schools compete for that funding, we have this niche programming, which I think is a bit of a, a mirage. It's a bit of a... Um, um, a guise. And so what happens is that then we have communities where people live across the street or live close to schools and can't get in because of the niche programming. Mm. And, and really what we should be doing is recognizing that our community schools are excellent vehicles for public education, a way that most of us were educated, yep. um, and demand that we get quality music, quality phys ed, quality arts programming at those schools so that we don't have to pick neighborhoods based on schools. And I guess to a certain extent, it's buyer beware because, oh, well, obviously we want to get a bang, uh, the best bang for our buck. You get the big house in a brand new neighborhood. If there's a sign in that neighborhood that says new school coming soon or in five years, you can't bank on that, can you? Well, you can't because that's something that the builders are telling you. And the builders actually have zero influence as to whether a school is going to be built there or not. And one of the things that we try to advocate for is that we really shouldn't have to go through this process. Parents shouldn't have to, you know, when they're in the throes of diaper changing and sleepless nights, 
think three or four years ahead to put their kids on a wait list Mm -hmm. or to buy a home in an affluent neighborhood. The reality is is that public education and education itself is a human right. So every child in every neighborhood should have access to rich and quality programming in that neighborhood. The fact that we now have families that shop around for schools really speaks poorly to the fact that we've commodified education and it's really really unnecessary do you think then that you know you said earlier you know you need to push to make sure that your school and your community has a great music program can we actually do that can that can we make that happen as parents yeah absolutely and it's something that we do as an advocacy group and we're you know we're a citizens uh, action group that that advocates for this type of thing and what it means is that we have to make sure that for example when the budget comes that we're not cutting education funding that we are spending more per student than less because, as you know, um, there are many schools without libraries anymore, without Mm -hmm. teacher librarians. We have schools that run on point two full-time phys ed teachers. And so these are experiences that we had growing up that our kids are not having, and we think that all kids can have, and we can absolutely affect change on on, uh, the way that we elect school board trustees, the way that we get involved in our school communities, and uh, the provincial governments that we elect. Barb, where can we find out more about Support Our Students? So you can go to supportourstudents.ca, and we have a lot of information there about, um, you know, community schools, public education, and, you know, what we should be expecting for all children. And it really shouldn't be about shopping around for neighborhoods, because what happens is parents are really engaged at the K-6 to level, mm-hmm. but we're finding that, they're, you know, these problems carry on into middle school, into high school, and so... Um, you know, it it really does permeate the way that we build our communities. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning, Barb. I appreciate it very much. You guys have a great morning. You too. Barb Silva. 719, and Sue, you were busy out in the community last night. I was. I had the pleasure of emceeing the opening of the Wellspring Calgary Randy O'Dell House last night down in Seton. It's a facility for people who have cancer as well as their families and caregivers. So it's non-medical. It's everything other than medical. People, resources. I mean, they do yoga classes, cooking classes. There's a library. There are counselors to talk to. It's amazing. And the mayor was there last night as well. Marina Hadnenshi joining us for the grand opening of Wellspring Calgary, the Randy O'Dell House. Talk about how important a building like this is to our community, to our city. Well, first of all, Wellspring does incredible work uh, with people who are going through cancer. And you can hear the energy in this room. It's great to have so many donors and volunteers and others come together. And I love Wellspring and I love the work they do. But I also think that this building is a physical manifestation of building community in Calgary. And I don't mind saying that we live in dark and divided and kind of mean times. And events like this remind me that we do so much better when we set aside our differences and try to do good for others in the community. Here, here, I agree with you 100%. And nonprofits, so key. And I know you're a big fan of, of that kind of work that happens in our community, too. Yeah, I used to be a professor of nonprofit management. And in my current work, I try to support the work of the nonprofit sector as much as I can. Whether it's arts or sports or recreation or health or social services, we wouldn't be where we are as a community without these dedicated folks who go to work every day, usually for not much pay, uh, to do good work, as well as the incredible volunteers and donors who support these organizations. Thank you, Mayor Nenshi. Thank you.
You know, we're always talking about jobs and job fairs here in the city, but if you look towards the West, there are great opportunities as well. And this one might be something, if you've got a young person in your life who's looking for some employment and maybe uh, some fun that goes along with it, there's a, a job fair going on. Ski Banff is holding a job fair and 200 positions need to be filled. Lots of opportunity. Joining us this morning to talk about it, Kendra Skirfield, the Director of Communications. And good morning to you, Kendra. This is exciting. Good morning. How are you? Thanks for joining us. 200 jobs, so lots of opportunity. What kind of job positions are you talking about here? So we're not the only ones in the job fair. There's 200 jobs that are available throughout all the employers that Mm -hmm. are participating. And we have about 50-ish jobs that are available still with Sunshine. They range from everything from marketing positions to on-mountain positions, such as being a lift operator or kitchen positions, as well as some supervisory positions. Some bonuses to those jobs? Do you get, uh, you know, if you're, say you're working as a a lifty at Sunshine, do you get a deal on skiing as well or boarding? You do. So when you work at Sunshine, you're given a staff pass. And if you're a full-time staff member, your staff pass is essentially a season's pass for most of the resorts in Western Canada. It's includes free skiing, Sunshine, Norquay, Lake Louise, as well as various other resorts, including Big White, Marmot Basin, Castle Mountain, Fernie, Kicking Horse. So it's a great opportunity to really ski the West. Of course, it's on Thursday into the afternoon at the Cascade Shops. You, you set it up as kind of a one-stop shop, Kendra. So if you go to one booth and that's not a fit, you can go to the next one. Really better than just looking at a website. It really is because you also get to meet the people that are making some of the hiring decisions and have a face time with them, talk one-to-one. At Sunshine, we're really proud of the fact that most of our team members are, the average age is about 25, so we are a youth employer. And some of the skills that you get are great skills to go and build into your career, whether it's more in supervision or management, as well as you get to really meet cool people from all over the world. So you you said mostly young people, but are there job availabilities for some older folks too if somebody else is looking for a job too? Of course. We we hire everyone who we think would be a great fit for the team. Are there sort of more older focused jobs? You know, I'm assuming someone like my age might not want to run the lift, but are there other jobs, you know, with either Sunshine or any of the other positions available? There are. And, you know, our lift supervisor is actually a a retired farmer from Saskatchewan and he came back out and he just loves being and he's really a leader with the kids and then we also have our snow host program so we get a lot of retirees that want to join our snow host program and they essentially ski around the mountain and give free tours to people that come and visit and kendra once again can you tell us the time and uh, where we should be heading uh, for this job fair so it is on october 10th And it is at the Cascade Plaza or the Cascade Mall in Banff across from the high school. Perfect. Thanks, Kendra, for joining us. Good luck. Hopefully you get lots of people coming out to fill those jobs. Yes, and hopefully we see you all on the slopes November 8th, which is our anticipated opening date. Ooh, exciting. Kendra Scurfield, Director of Communications at Sunshine Village. Thanks for checking out the Morning News Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks again for listening.